I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. This week's Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today, as ever, by Jason. Jason, hello. Hello, Tom. You're right. And Ben, Ben Coley from Sporting Life. Hello, Ben. Hi, gents. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, thank you for coming on. So we are previewing the US Open this week. It's uh, Winged Foot, which is in New York. Um, it's going to be a tough event, isn't it? With plenty of people expecting over par scores. Ben, do you, do you think it's going to be an over par scoreline? I know it was obviously last time and we saw Shinnecock Hills was over par a couple of years ago as well. Yeah, I, I think it probably will be. Um, I wouldn't underestimate the possibility that these guys are just so good that they might get to two or three under or something like that. And, you know, it only takes a bit of water, whether that's natural or unnatural, to, to make things a good deal easier. Um, but if they're a shot around better, or if the winners are shot around better than, than 2006, you're still over par. So it, it looks that way. Yeah, it'd be, be really tough. But I just think the USGA are probably less inclined to make things silly um, than they would have been after the, the furore at Shinnecock two years ago. So it might just soften things up a little bit. But yeah, we've all seen the videos of the rough and stuff, and uh, it's going to be brutal one way or another. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Jason, on that? Because you know, we see this sort of every week, don't we, that or every major week and they say oh you know the rush really long and you're not going to advance the ball and then, and every time at the end of the week everyone's advanced the ball and got to double digits under par haven't they? obviously i don't think double digits is going to happen but like ben said there it could be a case of you know these guys have advanced so much now from you know 2006 when it was here before that it may just get to a smidge under par yeah got uh, i mean they said that about beth page black they said nobody was ever going to break you know x score um and they did um, yeah, I think they, they can do what they like with the course, can't they? Um, for me, stop moaning. Um, it's great to see. It's great to see them under mental pressure for 72 holes. I mean, not not in anything like the same, but we've seen that at Valderrama, for example, a couple of weeks ago, where they were just under it for 72 holes constant. And there's, you know, good. Yeah, that's what it's about. You've got you've got your um, you've got your opportunities through the year to score. Um, you've got the PGA, which isn't always that bad, um, as tough as it you know as it might be. Um, US Open is designed to be very, very difficult and mentally demanding. And, you know, that's what it is. So get on with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, everyone's sort of talking about the length, you know, where they've lengthened it from the 2006 renewal. But I think that's more just in line with the current sort of level of golf, isn't it? You know, it's 7,400 just over, nearly 7,500 this year, uh, which is, you know, long for a par 70, Ben. But, um, you know, most of these guys, especially the ones that, that hit it a country mile, they're going to. They're going to be able to cope with that, and even some of the the shorter hitters, as long as they keep it in the fairway, it's not like they can't actually get to the green, is it? No, I mean, if you are playing out of the fairway all week, I mean, if we go back to 2006, you know, Jim Furyk was uh, was second and was one of sort of five players who had a really good chance to win it, and there were others up there who are what you'd call fairways and green merchants. Now, the game has changed in 14 years, and and I guess that just lends itself to uh, sort of uh, reinforcement of bias because I think most of us would say, well, yeah, probably be won by a big hitter. But the fact of the matter is, who isn't a big hitter at the top of the game? And I suppose you, you could count them on on one hand. So uh, it's overwhelmingly likely that we get a, a bomber-heavy leaderboard, but not necessarily um, just because of the course, you know. Or th- that being said, I mean, when we had, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago at Olympia Fields, the talk was this is long. Um, it's a par 70, a broadly similar test. 
um, and, and look what happened. You know, they're basically nobody who isn't really long off the tee had, had much of a chance there. Um, and the, the playoff was fought out by the best two players in the world, but also you got players like Jason Kokrak in the mix. So um, I, I think, you know, power is going to be hugely advantageous, but it needs to be channeled correctly. Um, and the winner will probably be one of the more accurate big hitters for the week. I think that's that's basically the formula. But let's not rule out the fact that someone could just roll the, the ball really well on the greens because that's what Colin Morikawa did. I mean, we can we can talk all day and night about how great a ball striker he is, but he won the PGA because he putted brilliantly, basically, and because he hit a brilliant shot on the 16th. So um, someone like Webb Simpson or Daniel Berger could do that, Tyrrell Hatton as well, but um, they're, they're going to have to be right on their games, no doubt about that. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is it the, the reason length is so advantageous because you can get away with things, whereas if, if you're a shorter hitter, you need to be flawless um and that is that is obviously where the problems come in but when you just sort of go through the i mean the past champions that are in the field this week um you know going back to, to graham mcdowell webb simpson as you just mentioned there jordan Spieth wasn't you know the longest hitter in 2015 lucas glove is not particularly known for his length so you know although obviously the courses are different this week it's changed over the years you know jason it's not just about length is it you know because I certainly wouldn't expect Bryson DeChambeau to to go so well this week because I don't think he can just you know hit it go and hit it again. He's he's going to struggle if he finds his way in the rough. No, I think I think uh, if if I'm not mistaken, you go back to 2006. Um, you got I think the three categories I've got um, a total driving uh, greens in rig or however however you want to uh, interpret that, and uh, I think all round ranking. I think um, most of the top ten were in the were in the oh sorry the top five in the top 10 in the all-round ranking so it's an all-round game isn't it um we, we said before i think you know when it was the pga that because they were paying 11 places on a normal tournament we may well just be looking for five places we may be looking for the big hitters um not saying anybody else could not win it um but the fact you're playing 11 means that you're opening up winning possibilities for very many and as you rightly say you know whenever we see these tournaments that the big hitters dominate if you like you still look down the top 10, you still find two or three that that have just played their iron shots better, that have been better around the green. You know, they're going to lose They're going to lose shots around the green here, aren't they? If you can't get it up and down, um, you know, where bogey might be a good score, um, you, you're going to really struggle and it doesn't matter how, how hard you hit it. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, isn't it? it the, thing, the great thing about US Open is it's an all-round test. You know, for as much as people love Augusta, there's there's been proven there's ways of, of getting about it and scoring, and there's certain players that you know are going to play well there definitively. Whereas these sort of courses, you have to be all aspects of your game have to be on fire. You know, if you if you miss the greens, which you're going to at some point, um, you have to get up and down. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, and like you said, Ben, there is. A lot of people focus on the fact that it's length and they're the only people that can challenge and they have done in recent weeks and championships, but it's just because all the best players in the world are relatively long hitters, barring maybe Webb Simpson at the moment. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the guys like Ches Reevy, for instance, who's played really well in majors. I guess the thing for me, someone like him, I, I and, and obviously he played so well at Pebble Beach last summer, um, but that wouldn't be one of the longer uh, US Open venues. I, I, I do think there are there you do feel almost like there are limits on how much they can do. Um and, and a good example for me will be Matt Fitzpatrick this week. Like I really like a lot about um his his game for this. Um I like his attitude. I, I, I like the fact that he, he wants it to be harder. Um he's probably the best putter among the game's elite right now. I'd say, you know, if I had someone over a twenty footer it'd be him or Mackenzie Hughes. Um <laughs> and then you you sort of ask yourself, well, can he keep hitting it? 
40 yards behind DJ and, and compete with him? And the answer is yes. Um, if he has one of his best weeks with his approach shots and he does continue to putt well, um, but it all comes back to the price, doesn't it? You know, I'm sure if people put up 80 to one Webb Simpson, he'd been the first in everyone's staking plan for for all that we might not think he's the ideal the ideal fit. So, I guess I wanted to see some allowances in in the price, and I, I didn't think there was that with Fitzpatrick. But as you say, everyone is going to miss greens. I mean, that's the, the I think scrambling is going to be huge, and I, I don't like saying that because it's not usually a stat I pay a lot of attention to. But um, you go back to 2006, and the leader in greens hit missed six greens every round on average. You know, that's that's a lot of getting up and down over four rounds, isn't it? You know, 24 times the leader in greens hit had to get up and down or try to. Um, and that's versus, you know, at places like Aaron Hills and Chambers Bay, you'd be talking maybe 10 or 12. So um, it, it's a lot different. And, it, you know, Jeff Ogilvie's probably the best person to, to explain what's required. And he said he won the US Open because he was the best that week from inside 100 yards. Now, we don't have the strokes gain stats to back that up, but I'm sure he's pretty much on it. And he, he, he said, you know, the last four holes, he made par on all four of them and he missed all four greens. Forgive me, it might be the last three. Um, but that that's the key, you know, that that's what got him out of jail. And, and that can be a great leveler because I think if all of us put, you know, dropped a ball 10 yards off one of these greens and, and picked someone to get up and down, it, it wouldn't be Dustin Johnson. So that's what does bring those guys into it. But make no mistake, they will have to be um, towards the best they've ever been on and around the greens to uh, to keep up. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a question to open up to both of you, and I'll start with Jason. Yeah, how, how much have you looked into the other Tillinghast designs? Obviously, you've got Ball to Draw, which is a 2016 PJ. You've got Ridgewood, that was uh, the 08, 10, and 14 Barclays, and the 18 Northern Trust. Beth Page Black, we've already spoken about, is uh, the 09 US Open, 19 PGA, and the Barclays for a couple of years there as well. How much did that come into your thinking this week? Yeah, it has to have some effect. I mean, look, as I say, you look at Beth Page Black, but there are also scores there that they're not going to reach this week yeah but that we automatically think of length don't we it's, it's consistent you say Beth Page Black you go yeah length even though we know that you know missing the fairway was pretty much disastrous um you know you have to come here in some reasonable form I think um uh late, lately the uh, results mean you have to come in so look Ben Ben summed it up they're all fantastic golfers aren't they you know you you can hit 305 driving distance be ranked 50 as one of my bets is actually um i think it's about confidence coming here confident with your game if you've got any doubts about your game then this is going to kill you off isn't it um it's it's about open experience i suppose major experience not being overawed by it um rather than i would say going back you know apart from obviously 2006 going back too far and looking at the 2009 us open doesn't really have any effect on on the way I'm approaching this week, to be honest. No, and the same question to you, Ben. Is it? Did you focus a lot on those other courses? Because obviously there's such different tests in terms of scoring, but you know, similar length and and obviously some in some cases similar tests. Yeah, I think probably like Jason, they, they were they were part of my filtering process, if you like, and, and one of my selections certainly has thrived across pretty much all of those courses you mentioned. Um, so it's, it was a, a positive, but it's more icing on the cake than the the mix, I suppose. Um, you know, Beth Page, when they've played it, has been really, really wet. Uh, 2009 was a weird US Open. Like, there was a huge draw bias in the first round, and then all sorts of crazy, you know, Ricky Barnes was about five clear at one stage, wasn't he? It was just a very, very odd US Open, that. Um, and then you, you look at Baltazar in 2016, there was a big draw bias there as well. It was soaking wet. Um, so again, you know, 
I see players like Brandon Grace pops up, right? He pops up there and he pops up at Oakmont and you think, well, okay, that is worth something, um, of course. Um, but, the, you know, they're probably the primary factor. I, I do tend to agree with Jason. It's hard to come to places like this and, and fake it, if you like, or, or get around when you're not sure of where you are. So if you, you've got players who are just searching for form, I think it's a it's a place that will expose them. And, and particularly on and around the greens, like the, the, these greens, if you ask people about winged foot, the thing they will say is that these greens are you know 18 probably the toughest set of 18 greens you will get anywhere and i think you'd include augusta in that um they are just unrelenting in in their difficulty that the, the different levels and the contours and so much of it is subtle whereas i think at augusta a lot of people would say well yes you, you you're playing big break but it's fairly obvious where that break is um so they're really really hard and i just think um you know if you can be grinding over four footers all week it's hard to do that if you haven't spent the last few months building confidence and I, I would certainly expect one of the form players in the world to be winning it. And it's why you get, you know, I guess the most extreme example would be Jordan Spieth as a, as an out of form golfer, but also someone like Ricky Fowler, like I, I and Justin Rose, who's been very good or very bad, but not enough, very good. I just, you, you look at these guys and think, have you really got the faith in your game and the, and the assuredness in, in what you're doing technically um, to go and, and deal with this sort of test. And, and I'd be inclined towards no, because Ogilvy for all the, he, he was a bit of a surprising winner. He prepared well and he'd won earlier that year. And I think those things are always massive. Yeah, like you say, I think it's it's just one of those frightening experiences, isn't it? You know, if you're not at the top of your game or very close to it and you get yourself on one of these tests, it's going to frighten the life out of you. And I think I read a, a stat the other day, it was Dave Tindall had actually put the nine of the last 10 US Open uh, winners had finished inside the top eight in one of their previous three starts. So that speaks to both of your points there that, you know, you can't just come in and fake it. You can't find it on the day. Um, I remember speaking to Paul Desori when uh, Webb won his, and I think he might be the outlier. He won uh, his US Open after coming off the fact of two missed cuts, and one of them was by seven shots. So he did find something that week, but it's it's the outlier, isn't it? You know, you you need to come in with some sort of form this week. Yeah, and with so, so I'm just going to jump in very briefly. Sorry, Jason. Um, the, Webb Simpson was a is the outlier, but he's also the one that was the the U.S. Open where which stands out from the rest in terms of the uniqueness of the skill set required. Like there will probably never again be a U.S. Open so uh, tilted towards straight hitters who scramble well um so i, I think you, you could have been anywhere that week could have dustin johnson could have won his last five events and he wasn't going to win at olympic club no absolutely jason just looking at the 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 head of the market and let's get into some of the the prices here and we've got dustin johnson is the the best price is 17 to 2 uh generally sort of eight and seven to one and, and john rahm's best price 10 to one uh no one else could have been the top two favorites could they no I mean, God, it's with, with you know. There was a point where we'll be betting without Dustin, isn't there? Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he um, look, you can't knock them. They're, they're the front two, especially if you look um, well. Apart from obviously somebody we both fancy, or probably all fancy, um, but they they have to be up there. Dustin's flying, isn't he? Um, it's not really much else you can say about him, is there? Um, not sure if the course will suit him that much, but in terms of length accuracy what he's doing he's confident he always has been confident you know you can't knock him can you he looks he's a knock for the first 11 if you want to play if you want to play across the card favorites double um yeah can't knock him john rahm again what, what do you want i mean rahm's a bit more fragile isn't he for me um probably is for everybody to be fair uh could have won the tour championship i think um went in front stopped not knocking him for that at all um he's got a, i just think with Ram, 
when something goes wrong, I think he's he's just a, a bit too fragile for me to want to play him. Sort of, well, he's going single figures, isn't he now? Um, yeah, I, I think he's a bit fragile. I'd have Dustin over him now. I think Dustin's lost all that fragility now. Um, everything we saw when he threw away all those majors isn't there anymore. Um, not saying he's guaranteed to win, but I, I will have him in front of Ram. I think uh, around here, I think he's going to get frustrated around here, and, and something's going to give. He'll throw in, you know, a quad bogey where others will throw in bogeys. That's just just my view, but yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Ben? Because, you know, I was kind of lean towards the same thing. I know we hear a lot at the moment about how Ram has worked so much on his, his mental aspects of his game and how he's a lot calmer in these sort of situations. But, you know, he's missed two of his first four cuts in the US Open. And, and the one that he played so well in last year was obviously at Pebble Beach where he shot seven under for the week. So it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't particularly difficult scoring. Gary Woodland got to 13 under par. Um, and if there's any any sort of question marks like that, I suppose you, you, it's quite easy to rule them out at 10 to 1. It was for me anyway. Yeah, I, I, I guess there's a conflict in what I'll say here, but I was fairly happy to rule him out quickly. But he, for me, he was the one. Like if, if you if you made me choose one of them, it, it would be Ram. Um, I, I take on board everything you say about the you know the the, the issues he's had, and, and certainly his US Open record um, would be a slight red flag. But I think that if you were to pick probably the two best form lines for this, um, in terms of preparing for playing a you know thick rough around the greens and fast greens and contoured greens, um, I would say he's won both of them. <laughs> um, you know he won he won a ridiculously difficult. Um, tournament at Muirfield Village certainly on the Sunday it was just brutal what did he shoot 77 when he won Um, so you could argue he didn't deal with conditions but on the day I think that was about level par Um, and he and he obviously won at Olympia Fields where you know it was a coin toss between the two in the end Um, it's splitting hairs between them Um, and I I, as I said for me the thing is when it's this hard I don't really want to be backing either I don't want to back someone at nine to one when things can go so wrong so quickly um, I'd rather, you know, if DJ's in the penultimate group at halfway and you have to take 11 to 4, then so be it. You know, we, we once we've had a, a good look. Um, but yeah, it would be wrong for me, but they're, they're, they're both of them um, obviously arrive here playing a level of golf, which I, I think it's fair to say nobody else in the field can quite match. So it's just whether they can bring that to winged foot, which is in itself a unique test. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jason, one of the things we just mentioned, obviously, is where uh, John Rahm has won the last couple of times. And Obviously, that has played into a lot of people's minds, but I just, I just think with Dustin's with, with his attitude, everyone kind of looks, you know, so nonchalant, isn't he? Doesn't that ever, anything doesn't really go to him? I think that's perfect for you, Open. That's why he's he's obviously won one. He's played so well at one before. You know, played play many, and uh, it just seems to be like he just rolls off his back if he makes a bogey. Whereas I, I still think Ram can sort of still be, you know, so hyper focused on a mistake or get so agitated by something that. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to happen throughout the week. There's, no one's going to play a week and make you know less than five or six bogeys, are they? It's just not going to happen this week. No, I think I think it's absolutely right. I think Ben says it quite right. You don't really want to play those at them, those prices. Um, but like I, said, I, I could see. I mean, look, look, we can't we can't guess what's going to happen. Otherwise, we'd be millionaires. Um, but you know, I could see Ram having a mare. I can't see DJ having a mare. Um, that that's you know it, it's simple as that really. Um, look at their open records. I mean, Ryan's missed the last couple. DJ doesn't miss getting a medal. Um, not necessarily. I know we're comparing different courses, but we've seen what he does. He's he's you know top five in every conceivable stat. And if sort of you know if a year year and a half ago we'd have said 
yeah, he'd have been, you know, top 10 in, in scrambling and putting um, or, or strokes gained around the green, whatever you want to call it. We'd all be laughing. Um, yeah, DJ is DJ. He doesn't give a monkeys what you think or what I think. He's rightly favourite. But, yeah, do I want to back him? No, but like I said, I can certainly see why you would have it across the card double um, on the two jollies. And he's rightly favourite. Quite a big jump, isn't it, to Justin Thomas as well at fourteen to one, I suppose. And um, there was sort of talk, wasn't there, after he won the, the WGC of him sort of slipping out of form, and he did go thirty seventh, 49th and twenty fifth. Uh, but then he finished third at the Tour Championship on the, on the seventy two hole scores, um, second at the Workday Charity Open. So he's got a first, a second, and a third in his last sort of like six or seven starts. Um, a very good wedge player as well, Ben. And was there any sort of consideration for him at all? Or do you think there's other tests that will suit him better? Yeah, I, don't, I, I wouldn't I try not to be too dogmatic about what will and won't suit because obviously we've we've just not seen it for so long. Um, and I, I just think it, it's going to be. Will it really suit anyone? I know that sounds a silly thing. I, I think it's going to be so hard. I don't think anyone will walk off and this is the perfect golf course for me. But actually, Thomas did do that um, when he played it three weeks ago. Um, he, he went on a little jaunt with Tiger, didn't he? And, and got a look in and he said it was one of his favourite courses. So th- those things stay with you, obviously. Um, and I'm a huge JT fan. I, 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 he's probably the most in and out of the world's best players. Um, but when he's when he's on, he's he's very much as good. Uh, as anybody else, uh, the U.S. Open record and, and general major record would be a bit of a worry. When you look at, you know, he's got he has won a major, um, but obviously uh, that was what 2017, and and he's just not really kicked on from that. And he's he's admitted to himself. He said that he's been frustrated at how he's prepared and he's looking to other people. And you know, no top tens in a major over the last two years is you know it's not great for a player of his caliber. Um, and that would just just be a little a little worry in the back of my mind um, because I I wouldn't have thought this is uh, as suitable a test as as some others though it might be better for him than Harding Park because he did step onto the first tee there and sort of say uh, I need to learn how to hit a draw I think he he tweeted during that event so obviously he was not keen on that from the off but yeah he he is what he is in this but he there was nothing that that was outstanding about his chance nothing that made me think oh this is this is right up his street whereas Quail Hollow a few years ago that would be a course where you go yeah perfect for jt do you think also a lot obviously because of the last couple of years he hasn't had those top tens do you think it's just the increased pressure not from even the outside because i don't think he gets put under the spotlight as much as sort of like a dustin or a rory or anyone like that does or even ram at the moment but i think he puts so much self-imposed pressure on himself because i think he was there as the kind of um the bridesmaid with with spieth and people like you know watching his best friend going on that run that that maybe he he just puts too much pressure on himself to to achieve something that you know is very difficult and there's only four chances a year. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. I mean, he's he's admitted to that, um, and he'll figure it out. And I think he's like he's a, he's just as good a golfer as John Rahm, in my opinion. I don't I don't think when we look at their careers in twenty years, I mean, obviously a lot can go wrong for either of them, but uh, there may not be much between them at all. And it, it'll just be those fine margins which which determine you know who wins what exactly. But um, no, he's, he's nothing there. I mean, I try not to get too technical because I basically know nothing about the golf swing, but he does seem to me to be a bit of a, ryth- a rhythm player. And I think that applies throughout the game, um, off the tee with his approaches and, and on the greens. And he can just get a little bit out of sync. And I wonder, you know, in a major, um, you've just got no time to, to get that right. If, if, if you start badly, you, you're up against it, really. It's very, very rare to conjure 
um, something after, you know, you, you start badly this week, you'd be five over at the turn and it's just, you, you're not coming back from that, I don't think. So um, unless you're Tiger Woods in 97, I, I don't think anyone does that. So um, yeah, maybe it's just little things. He'll, he'll figure it out, but he's a, he's a golfer where come the end of his career, would I be sure he'll have a US Open? Probably not. Um, and while I wouldn't be sure of anything, I'd be fairly confident he wins at Augusta or another PGA. So th- this would be the least suitable of the of the stateside majors, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. Um, Jason, the next man up is someone that we... I don't. I think sometimes we're a little bit unfair on Rory McIlroy, I guess, because um, you know every week we kind of go, oh, he's a bit too short. But he hasn't been playing great, has he, since the, the restart? Um, we now found out he's, he's obviously welcomed a, a baby into the world and... And everyone kind of thought he was going to win straight away after having the, the nappy factor and things like that. But in US Opens, whenever I think of US Opens, oh, he has won one, or you know, it just don't doesn't strike me as something that he should go well at. Because I think, as I've just said about maybe John Rahm gets sort of worked up over a bogey, I'd certainly think McIlroy gets gets very you know frustrated and flustered quite quickly if things aren't going well. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> That's, that's the summary. But it's, it? there's four there's four players there at fourteen and sixteen to one, um, and I think Rory is the least likely um, to be backed out of any of those four. So um, no, it, I, I can't see him suited. Um, yeah, it's, it's not it's not his game. It's not his, it's not his course. Um, I don't think he's got any chance on the greens. Um, no, just I, I don't see him challenging in the slightest. Yeah, Ben, I know obviously that you're probably more generous towards Rory than, than a lot of people are, but even you, would you agree with that? It's kind of not really his test this week and, and not really in the form that he needs to be to be contending that it's major either. Yeah, I, I, I think that'll be fair. He's, he's slightly below his best, not a lot. Um, his approach play needs to improve. It, it did briefly in Boston um, and then he went and contended for a while in Illinois, but again his his approach play was poor at the tour championship so there, there, it's kind of been this one thing or another wrong with this game and, and we we do have a reason now when it emerged that he was about to become a father i think rory is the sort of person who um he really does understand the big picture and i can fully buy into the idea that he just really had down the tools for a bit and was more focused on getting things right at home and the health of his his wife and stuff like that and, and good on him so um it'll be interesting to see if he gets the the post baby uh bump um i hope he does um but um I, I think it's a fallacy that he can't play tough golf because he's won tournaments where everybody else found it tough and he didn't but i don't think there's any disputing that he would rather a couple more par fives and as you both have pointed out like he, he likes to get on a roll doesn't he i don't think he he, he he doesn't see par as an abstract concept he sees it as an important like a birdie is is a birdie it's not just a, a three and you know if that's on a tough hole or an easier he needs to make birdies and eagles and they are hard to come by here in the us open so perhaps mm-hmm. that explains why um his record in them is fairly modest um and i think you know you look chambers bay and congressional very different to this uh, and for that reason yeah i think he'll play okay but um you know without winning uh, uh, overdue fifth major yeah, well, sorry tom to interrupt sorry ben um do you think that the actual score has any effect on their mind so you mentioned about rory so chasing eight under nine under ten under eleven under they're only playing relative but do you think the fact that you you might have to finish at plus two plus three has any effect on their on their minds as they're going through you know the fact that par is important par is the score you know rather than rather than chasing a birdie yeah, I, I think it probably varies massively player to player and it actually might tell us why some are good at this sort of golf and some perhaps aren't. I, I don't know, but 
what I would definitely say, I mean, the, probably the best example for me, you can have a 525 yard par four um, that we could easily turn into a par five without changing the hole. And the feeling a player like Rory would have walking off the back, having made a four, would be drastically different. Um, or, or having made a five is probably a better example, you know, dropping a shot versus making a par or whatever. Um, and and that interests me because it shouldn't matter, should it? They should, you know, they, they should understand it's all relative and, and they, they'll talk the talk. They will tell you that, you know, it doesn't necessarily work like that. And they don't think, oh, this is a hole to take advantage of and things like that. But, but I think it does matter. And I think it affects shot selection. For instance, I think if you're in the rough um, off the tee on a, on a long uh, par four, players are far less inclined to just pitch it out and leave themselves a hundred yards in, which they'll have to do this week than were it a par five where they feel like they can still make birdie that way. Your, your total score is not going to change just your, your, you know, plus or minus is going to change. And yet I think it drastically affects how they play holes. So yeah, I don't know enough about it clearly, but I, I do think it affects players in certain ways. And I do think it probably underpins um, why some like it easier and, and, and some like to grind for pars. I personally think it's a case of Rory is one of those guys that, and not in a, not in a bad way. I think it's great for the game. He likes to show off. That's why he likes the fans being there. That's why, um, you know, you, you see it when he hits a, a towering three wood that everyone gets really excited about, and he can prove I've just put the best swing on the ball that anyone can in the field this week. That suits him. And he might do that at an Open or a US Open, and it and it doesn't even come off. It just whereas it should have just you know on a PGA course it will just stop dead and within five at the flag it might kick off and just be absolutely dreadful. And I don't think he copes with that. Whereas I think some others can can live with that better than than he can. And 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 that's just a different mindset. Like like you say, you know, I think my opinion on Rory as a, as a person has completely changed over the last two or three years. I think he's I think he's the best he's ever been in terms of personal life career everything on and off the course i think he's great and i think he's a great advocate for the game i just think that there's still certain things where i think well, that's just not going to suit. it's like really really bad weather in the open i just don't think it would particularly suit him although it should do um because you know he grew up in northern ireland and, and things like that but it's it's just one of those things that i have it in my head that he's just going to struggle there and, and if you think that then it, you, you can't really go with him even if it's going to be better better instincts i suppose yeah, and he's one of those. Like he, there's a limit to to what price you'll get. Um, you know, he he's sixteen to one, and I think he he he's drifted out to sixteens. His player's not improved, and he's not stopped drifting. And other players would drift more. Um, so, you know, I, I, if you can get Rory right, there's money to be made at backing him at sixteen to one because he has won tournaments at this price over and over again. But um, I think we're all in agreement that probably it's easy enough to get him right this week, and that's to to leave him out. Yeah, absolutely. Another player that is at sixteen to one, although he's going to sort of fourteen and twelves. Jason is uh, is the man that you basically expect to win this week is Xander Schauffele, and you've been very high on him, you know, pretty much since we started the podcast before that and and things like that. But um, there's nothing, there's no hiding about it now, is there? He kept going under the radar, um, and now it's kind of quiet with him. He's you know, in the day he's had three top sixes in three U.S. Opens. Um, there's there's no secret he likes this sort of event. Um, it was third last year at Pebble, which is a slightly different test, but he's even done it on the harder ones at Erin Hills and Shinnecock as well. Um, obviously, won the 72 hole um, at the Tour Championship as well, and, and you certainly expect him to go well this week. Yeah, I think you've covered it, haven't you? Um, Memorial as well. Um, he was out with the washing um, halfway through the first, three quarters through the first round. 
um, came back and finished thirteenth. Yeah, he's got everything. He, he, you know, you know that I expect him to win the Masters. Um, and to be honest, over the last seven eight weeks, I know he hasn't done what what you know I wanted him to over the last seven eight weeks. But he can't actually knock what he's what he has been doing. Everything about his game is bang on. He drives it. He drives it accurately. His his iron play is superb. We know that Eastlake is his course. So uh, winning last week, um, you know, it wasn't the greatest of surprises, but, you know, it was still very nice. Um, we're still blaming Martin Keimer, but, you know, we'll get a <laughs> winning is all right. Um, everything he's got at the moment, he's absolutely flying. You've already mentioned he's got the form, the form in majors, the form at US Opens, um, form Memorial, form at Pebble, form, you know, I don't know what else you can really ask for. He's got the tied second, even now, open at Carnoustie when he was a quarter of the player that he is now. Um, I, I don't know what more you really you really want from a contender at the US Open in the form that he's at. Um, and like I say, when he's whatever price he is, if you look in comparison with JT, Rory, and maybe even um, um, sorry uh, Colin Morikawa, who you know, as we all as we all say, you know, putted better than he ever has when he won the PGA. He stands out amongst them four. And, you know, you've got 11 places. We said this last time at the last major. You've got 9, 11, 8, 10 places. Honestly, how on earth can you knock him out? I just can't see it. The only one concern I had, and, and you touched upon it there, is that it was no great surprise that he won at Eastlake because that's a course that he loves. And if you look at the, the results, although he's been playing very, very well, um, 25th, 25th, 10th, 6th, 13th, 14th, 20th, you know, before that, he was... He was playing well without really getting up there and it took getting onto his favourite course or one of them um, to really shine through. And the, the concern maybe is that uh, he needs to be in that spot to do that again. But I would certainly say that he is, of, of the top five or six, he was certainly the person that stood out for me. I just think his price is almost going down to the point where you think, well, you know, do... A lot of you say there, you think he's the most likely out of the Rory's, JT's, Colin Morikawa's, things like that. Um that obviously you would back him at 16 or 14 to one, but I can understand why people would be cautious of that price now. There's a lot of rubbish in the field. Um, <laughs> so let's put it, let's, you know, let, let's get, everything's got to be put in context. The, the test in front of him is, is of no barrier whatsoever. Whereas um, I think there are many that, that um, you know, st- in double figures, um, okay, perhaps they're five times the price, but there are many in, in that price where you would, you could come up with two, three, four negatives about the course, they're going to have to play bang on. He is playing what he was expected to play, to be honest. Okay, ignore the win, but the style of his play and the style of his play recently. Yeah, some people putted a bit better on weeks. You know, we've always said you could finish 20th or you could finish 8th. It's probably three putts during the week or something like that. Three putts for you, three putts for your opponent. Um, but he is now playing absolutely bang on. And, and uh, you know, for me, this the, he's going to be fly i mean i just think he's going to be not not untouchable that's you know do you know what i mean but he will be top five everywhere in all the important tournaments for many months to come i don't think that his us open record is in jeopardy put it that way i think that he's certainly going to keep that that ball rolling i think he's in, he's, he's hitting the ball well um you know and like you say there's, there's a certain mentality isn't there when you come to this event and when you've done it three times in a row um you know whether it's a very different courses or not um, there's, there's something about it. it's a bit like Brooks Koepka when he comes in doesn't he and he says that half the field can't win here so it makes it a lot easier for me when, when I think that I can um, yeah I think 
as I say, there's, there's clearly reasons why he would be fancied. The, the record speaks for itself, and, and I can completely understand it. Just maybe that the market's caught up with him eventually, as after years of it maybe not doing so. And the other person you touched on there is, is Morikawa. Um, it would be tough to see him, Ben, possibly going two majors in a row, though the kid is, we can call him a kid, I suppose, is the sort of person that can do anything and go right against the odds, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I didn't have him winning a major so early in his career either. So um, you have to allow yourself to be surprised and to adjust your expectations, don't you? Um, he played well at the Tour Championship. Um, again, though, he, you know, he putted pretty well there, I think. Um, well, I think he was about midfield. But it, it really was the... I don't want to downplay what he achieved in the PGA Championship because it was extraordinary. Um, and he did lead the field in fairways hit, right? But to win that tournament, he hit more fairways than anybody else and he hold more putts than anybody else. And he could do it again, um, but I, I wouldn't like to count on it. Um, and, and, you know, he was playing at a course he played before. He was playing in his home state. Um, a couple of those small little factors that, that probably worked to his advantage. And it was, a you know, it, it was a good deal easier than this. And I think experience will count for something this week. You know, having been through events like this, and and played well and, and, and ground out scores in US Opens. I, I think that does count for something. And, and that's not something he's yet done in his career. Now, um, he could just clear the hurdle as he did in the PGA. But, um, you know, he, he was he was better value there than he is here. Um, and and if he wins again, then, you know, we'll rewrite another record. <laughs> Absolutely. There's two players here at 25 to 1, Webb Simpson and Bryson DeChambeau. And, and a, there's a lot of opposition to both of these, Jason, for completely opposite different reasons. So... Bryson is a case of he can he can hit it really long, but he may struggle when he gets himself into trouble. Whereas Webb Simpson would have to find almost every fairway um, to to even challenge, I suppose, and the hole as many putts as he ever does, you know. And he can do that. That that is the thing. That's why, although twenty five to one may look a little bit short because he is a short hitter, um, he has proven time and time again that despite being written off in certain places, he he gets the job done, and and that's why. It's hard to completely oppose him, but I can see him not being particularly fancy this week. Webb, sorry, Webb Web, or Bryson? Yeah, yeah, Webb. Um, look, look, we've done this before, isn't it? It's the Webb Web Burgers thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I can't have him down here. Yeah, everything's got to be absolutely bang on. He's going to be, he's going to have to hit uh, probably a longer iron and an awful lot of these into the into these greens, and his, his short game's going to have to be as good as it ever has been. I don't know. I just think he is short. You talk about people catching up with, with Xander. I mean, I think Webb's been caught by the market now big time. I think it's a, it's a shocking price, to be honest with you. I'm not saying you could have made him that much bigger. He just retains no appeal whatsoever for me at that, that sort of price. Um, yeah, he, look, he's, he's not in any of my lists either. Three lists, he doesn't appear. So, no. For me, he doesn't go off for much shorter in a regular event, so I don't, I don't mm. see the point in trying to take him on at a course that shouldn't suit him, and he would have to play his absolute best to get it out of him. I don't think it's, I don't think it's beyond him, but I just think that the possibly, like you say, the price is not there. He's patting prowess. He's not going to come into this, is it? You know, no, because everyone's going to struggle because mm. it's going to be so. I think they've made the greens wider, which is going to make them easier to hit. But then you're going to have more sort of three putts, aren't you? So it's yeah. all. And it's, it's, there's so much nuances to it, and I think that's as Ben's been saying, maybe not trying to, and that might be why Ben's you know first tip sort of starts at 33 to one because you know trying to take on a, a short odds person, obviously you've done it with Zandy yourself, but um, that there's so much that can go wrong as well as opposed to going right, 
um, that it's hard to to really fancy anyone. I think that's sort of the same thinking with Berger. I think he's been one of the best players in the world since the restart. There's no denying that. Um, you know, he's got a good major record in, in places. He's played well at these sort of designs as well. Um, 30 to 1, I think I'd, I'd rather look elsewhere at some sort of proven uh, major winners. And Patrick Cantley certainly isn't doing it for me. I don't know about either of you two, Patrick Cantley. His iron play has fallen off an absolute cliff, and I, I don't know quite why. Um, even when he played, you know, he, a lot of people might look at the BMW Championship and say, oh, Cantley was back to form there because he, he was right in the mix. He may, may have even been the halfway leader, but blimey, his uh, his approach play was still shocking. He's missing greens from the middle of the fairway, and it's just something not quite right there. So um, I'm hugely positive on him, generally speaking, but he's, he's a bit like a Rory, but uh, the next price bracket, like for the way he's playing, he should be a bigger price. You know, Berger's playing much better golf, um, and and so are pretty much everyone in that bracket. Now I know everyone has to have an upper limit, um, although Jordan Spieth's testing that theory at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I, I think really Cantlay in this field's a forty to one shot, and you're not getting bigger than thirty, thirty three, thirty five. Even if he was forty, I'd probably still want to take him on at the price. So yeah, he, he wasn't for me, but I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't go close to winning a tournament like this one day when he's playing a bit better. So let's go to the first first of your selections, Ben. And this is a player that I've I've kind of not mocked over the last few podcasts, although I've, I've basically said that he's finishing 20th every week. And then when I took a deeper dive into those courses that we mentioned at the start of the start of the podcast, Hideki Matsuyama's name kept flashing up, um, and and that is I'm guessing a, a lot to do with why you like him this week. Yeah, and and I guess the other thing would be, I, I think if you're finishing 20th every week, you're playing really well. Um, and I know it can get frustrating, but if you look at Xander, I mean, that's what he was doing, basically. I think Xander's on eight top 25s in a row. Well, most of those are sort of 10th to 25th. Um, but then he has stepped up on a couple of occasions, right? And I think basically that's what Hideki has been doing. You know, 21st at Rocket Mortgage, 22nd Workday, 20th St. Jude, 22nd PGA. It's all rather underwhelming, but at the same time, there's so much good golf in there. And, and it's a little bit like putting the pieces of a jigsaw together. You know, at various times, he's hit his irons really well. He's driven really well. He's been very, very good around the greens. He certainly was at Olympia Field. And, and he's actually putted well in, in times. Um, so I, I guess it's there's a little bit of hope attached, but I guess there has to be in any, in any selection. But I, I'm hoping he puts it all together. But the reasons for thinking he might are his US Open record, which is really, really strong. And it dates back to 10th on his debut at Merion, which was hard, over par, thick, rough. Um, the Tillinghast form, as you've alluded to, I think that's that's strong. It's encouraging. Uh, and the fact that he puts better on Poana slash Bentgrass greens than he does Bermuda, which just gives you a reason to forgive uh, his putting at the Tour Championship, which was which was bad. But three events before that, three events in a row, he putted above average, top 30 in the field. And and that's all I want. If he if he finishes 30th in putting, I'll take my chances with the rest um, because he's certainly good enough to to use that as a springboard to winning. And and just the final thing, I mean, I, I have gone heavy on players who scramble well. <sighs> Scrambling stats can be a bit of a red herring because essentially if if your big miss is not very big, then you're scrambling from easier positions, right? So, and the strokes gain around the green stats, taking a lot of shots that play from a little bit further away than ideal. So I don't think there's a great metric for telling you whose short games are good, but that's where you use your eyes, isn't it? And and I really like him around the greens. I think he's creative. He's got good touch. So um, yeah, I, I like a lot about him. Uh, he was borderline price, but um, back to those 10, 11 places, you know, it, it does make the difference. It makes it easier to swallow a price that's a hair shorter than perhaps you'd hoped for. 
I think another thing when you when you factor in the prices this week, which we haven't mentioned yet, is that uh, Scotty Scheffler is out of the field uh, after testing positive for COVID. Um, Sam Horsfield also, for much further down the market, hasn't affected the prices. But when you take a big contender like like Scheffler, who both me and Jason really liked this week, um, that's obviously going to affect the prices. And I think I don't know if that's particularly changed Hideki's, but it might be the difference between him being forty to one and, and thirty five to one this week. Yeah, and, and the other thing, obviously, if we're comparing just like for like versus the PGA Championship, Brooks Kepka's not playing, and um, look, he was taking out 10% of the market in the PGA, so you split that across the field, it, it's going to have a nominal effect on, on everybody. But it's another, you know, certainly I'd I'd rather not have Brooks Kepka to beat in a major, right? I mean, we'd all <laughs> feel like that. And and yeah, I think with Hideki, that he's, pre- he's probably a point shorter than he has been for a couple of events recently, a point or two. But um, I think one of the things I like in a golfer, I, I would say, is performances which are encouraging without being sort of blindingly obvious. And I think he's done a lot of that. And I think having him in contention again in the BMW Championship was important because he had a genuine chance to win there. And it didn't work out, but he played perfectly well. And it had been quite a while. So look, the negative is obvious. He hasn't won since 2017. Um, back then, he went off, I think, 8-1 to one or 10-1 to one for the US PGA. So I think we are getting compensated. I think on, on, on his class, he's a big price. But, um, you know, you, you start to factor in that three-year absence of titles. And then, of course, he, he has to be where he is in the market. So, um, yeah, like with all of mine, they're confident selections. If you're asking me, will they play well um, in terms of getting the winner, you know, I, I, they wouldn't be confident. But we, we're getting eight, nine, ten places. So um, hopefully that's that's enough. Fortunately, to make it really easy for everybody, all, all your next three selections are right after one another in the market. Um, so we've got Tony Finau, Tommy Fleetwood and Jason Day. Um, all three, I can absolutely see the appeal to them. I'm massively high on Tony Finau. I think that he's going to... I still think he's going to win before the year's out. I think that majors certainly suit him. I think he's just as likely to win a major as he is a regular event. I say that every time we talk about him. Tommy Fleet would return to form in Portugal last week after me and Jason thought that he may not, you know, may not be that sort of encouraged to do that well there, maybe just trying to find something in his game. And then lastly you've got Jason Day there at forty to one. And I'll just let you go through those as you as you like and, and talk a little bit on those. I'll, I'll be as quick as I can. So Fleetwood, um, you know, his major record is seriously impressive. I think I was talking earlier about players who prepare well and, and adapt well. I think his record speaks for itself. You know, he was second playing out the final group at Port Rush, top five at Shinnecock, well, second at Shinnecock when had it been anybody else, I, and I mean that, anybody else trying to beat his clubhouse score, I think he'd have won the US Open. Um, but it was Brooks Koepka. Um And then the year before, he, he, he was... Uh, placed at Aaron Hills as well. So that's two of the last three US Opens. He's, he's not missed a cut in four. Um, all of that is is known. I think the, the massive thing was he went to Portugal last week and I thought it was an odd decision. And then suddenly when he gets there and you see the rough and the difference in that course versus previous years, you begin to think, well, this is probably quite a nice idea. And I had a bit of a chat with this caddy and you know they, they thought it through and they preferred that to going to California. Um, where obviously the, the air quality is poor and stuff like that. So they really did. It wasn't a, on a whim. And he just wanted to play again because he felt he was close, but he just needed to put it into practice. And they had a really good session the week before Portugal. They felt that they were playing really well. So they went to Portugal and they saw everything they needed to see. And Tita Green, I mean, he's gained 18 strokes, Tita Green, last week. Um, it, it's 
it's ridiculous that he didn't win. Um, and I'm glad he didn't win. But if, if you'd have told me Tommy Fleet was going to rock up in Portugal and gain 18 strokes tee to green, I would have said, how many shots does he win by? Um, but he putted poorly, but I don't care about putting. So um, that was the case for him. Uh, basically, I think he might have timed it perfectly. Um, and the other thing, he hasn't played winged foot yet. Um, he's playing it today, but he has been playing Shinnecock in practice. So um, if you're going to prepare, prepare another classic US Open course down the road, I guess. Um, I'll go through the other two quicker. You said it all about Fino, really. I think he'll win a big tournament one of these days. Um, you, you do make money backing him 35 to 1 in majors, 10 places. I, it's just a fact <laughs> i know it still won't do for you know other people want to feel like he can win and somehow they've convinced themselves he can't but i didn't see anything wrong with what he did at the pga championship and um uh, i you know he, he's one of those the kind of the opposite to what i was saying about rory he can only get so short because there is this thing about him not winning so he never goes 20 to 1 in the elite fields you know and when everybody's playing um so i'm happy to take him and jason day was a risky one um i said at the top that there was one player i'd selected based on their Tillinghast record and and form on this sort of course on these greens and it is Jason Day. Um, I guess it came down to I put him up at forty to one at Harding Park and he he was what was he fourth and he he was brilliant and he could have easily won that. Um, here we are in the next major and I get to have forty to one again and I think if you'd have told me that at the end of Harding Park I'd have said no chance. Now the reason is he's played really poorly the last two, but he's played a lot of golf. Um, more golf than he's ever played in a, in a short stretch. And, you know, I can, I can just forgive him. Um, it, it's like anything. It's intuition, isn't it? I can just convince myself that Jason Day still has all that confidence he built up and still has all those positives. Um, and he just had a couple of bad rounds of golf. Um, and if he's in the form he was in at Harding Park on a course like this with his high ball flight and his, he's got the best short game in the field for my money, um, you know, he's, he's kind of Ogilvy on steroids. So um, if, if that's the case then then this should suit him right down to the ground and his us open record is brilliant so yeah hopefully one of those three will be bang there i think with with jason day there may have been almost a case of maybe just played you say played a lot of golf maybe just too much you know this is a guy that has a lot of back issues a lot of injury issues um i don't think he actually hurt himself but i think that you know he's not used to having that runner schedule so if you know he played really well going into the pga play really well at the PGA and then all of a sudden it's like well I don't I'm not used to playing this many events in a row and and Jason do you think there's anything in that that maybe you just got you just got sort of caught up in playing too much I can't read Jason they never have been able to um yeah I, I can see he's a big time player isn't he um I don't see him you know bothering in many of the, uh, the smaller tournaments in terms of um competing and, and and you know trying to win if you like um that, that's the way I look at it um he's a you know we know that he loves a tough course. There are others that, that I prefer, but um, you know, I, I'm not knocking the idea that if he's gonna if he's gonna appear, it's gonna be somewhere like this. Um, so yeah, he's he's not for me. But you could have asked me that five years ago, and I'd said exactly the same thing. Um, he's just a player I don't get at all. So um, yeah, I'm sorry, but that's my conclusion. Yeah. No, but so he's, he's finished just to talk to the actual Tillinghast form. He's finished second at Ridgewood and Baltusrol, and he's also finished fourth yeah. at Bethpage Black. So he, like Ben said, this is the perfect oh yeah uh, place for him, isn't it? You know, it, and and if Jeff Ogilvie is the type of person that wins on on this course, then it would make sense to back another Aussie that's got the same sort of skill yeah. set. Um, and Ben, do you think that there's anything in him? trying to do you, how much do you think how motivated do you think jason day is, is 
probably what I'm trying to get at because I think that when he was at the top of his game, he won that major that he was looking for for so long, whereas the other times he was sort of contending when he hadn't been at the best of form, things like that, because he just sort of peaked for the majors. Do you think that now he's sort of back to getting back towards his best, that there's this sort of hunger to, to really get amongst all the, the very best in the world? Oh, absolutely no question. I think if you go back and, and listen to what he was saying at the PGA and the events before that, he was he was talking about that. And you know, he's had a really rough time with injuries, and I think it probably you know we, I think we saw it with Tiger in a in a different way. It it makes them appreciate what they've got, and probably I don't know, it might make them just a bit more relaxed and a bit more happy to accept what comes. And, and maybe with that, the successes and the failures. But generally speaking, yeah, he's if, if there's one thing I think we'd all say about Jason Day since he came on the tour is that he's, his, his hunger, his desire to be as good as he can be is is as strong as anybody's, you know. I mean, I, I think it played a large part in why he got to the top of the game um, because he's not as good a ball striker really as uh, as people like DJ and, and Ram and what have you. And he's, he's got a lot of grit and he's got a brilliant short game. And I think those, those are the things you need in the US Open, right? He could easily have won a US Open by now if he hadn't got vertigo or whatever. Um, and yeah, I, it is, I, I just felt like if he hadn't played since the PGA, it'd be 25 to 1. And it's rare when you're looking at a major market where it's, you know, it's mature and players are very easy. To, we know all about all of these, right? Um the market is so robust that it's rare to get a guy where you think, well, just if they hadn't, if they'd had a fortnight off, that's all I'm asking. I, I, I would have got, I would have been forced to take a considerably shorter price. Um, and that's, you know, there'll be other examples of that, I'm sure. But I, I, I think it, it's a big difference um, to, to, you know, to, to be 40 to one and to contend in a, in a major to then go and start the next one at the same price when you've got the back class of him. Um, it just seems a, a bit on the generous side, but he'd be the one of my three, like the other three, I, I would say as as confidently as you can say it, I expect them to play well. With Jason Day, I don't really know what to expect, but if he does play well, um, he's not a 40 to one shot. So uh, that, that's kind of a hopeful bet, but um, of 40, I'm more than happy to take that chance. That, that, yeah, that's, that's very fair. That, that's very fair. And yeah, he has got, you know, he has got the game obviously for this type of course, just to be really cynical and act like a Twitter arty person. Um, when he came back on the workday, everybody was going, oh, he's back because, uh, you know, they were making that, you know, they were saying because he's got rid of his coach, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Does that mean he got him back after the PGA? <laughs> no. Do you, do you know what? That, that That's the, the the one concern for me. Like, I, I guess we all, me more so than you two, I guess, back ourselves into corners with um, conclusions and opinions and stuff. But I, I did sort of think when he when he missed the cut in the uh, Boston, I, I was weighing him up for the BMW because I thought Olympia Fields would be to his liking. And, and I sort of convinced myself that, now he's had a bad week like he's not got anybody to help him out of that he's not got anybody to go to and say is there anything wrong here actually he's been going to tiger woods but um it could be that it's harder to escape a a rut now that he hasn't got his coach um so that's definitely a concern um but then he signed off with around a 68 that week so i'm I'm hopeful that tiger gave him the nudge and uh, he knows where he stands again i think a lot of it is belief i think you know i think he had to kind of um, Cole Swanson was, you know, was always his biggest fan, and he was always in his corner and helped him technically and things like that. But he also, when he goes and speaks to Tiger Woods and gets a little bit of a G after that, that's enough. And he talked so much taking ownership of his own game. And you go back to his US Open record, and I was thinking Merrion, and he was right in in the mix there, wasn't he? And he had to sort of bogey 11, 14, 18, I think it was, to actually prevent him from winning. You know, Rose won that week, but it, that was when he was 
not inexperienced. Well, I suppose he was really, but he, you know, he hadn't won one. He has now won one. He's got back and shown the form that that we've hoped to see from him earlier in this season. I thought there was a lot of it was just based on the fact that he was playing at uh, in Ohio, where he plays, he's based and plays well all the time. But it wasn't. He, he backed that straight up and played well at the PGA Championship. So as long as, like you say, he doesn't get lost in trying to find the answers without his coach, there's every reason to suspect he'll play well this week. Fair enough. Yeah, so, I, hope, I hope so. He's a bit of an enigma because he's gone from, like, if you go to San Francisco, he um, he was the leader in approach play, um, which I think it was the first time in five years he'd led a field in approach play, such has been the dip in quality with his irons. And then it just dropped off a cliff and he was about last in Boston. So that's that's kind of what you get with him at the moment. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll see which Jason Day turns up. Absolutely. The, the next two in the best, it's quite funny these are all running in a row here, is Patrick Reeve is someone I really wanted to talk uh, quite heavily about. Myself and Jason are obviously big fans of him out with Jason. And um, I think that if anyone's going to grind out a score, is Patrick Reed. I think that's he's the epitome of what you need at the US Open. Um, he's won at Bethpage Black in the 2016 Barclays, fourth at Shinnecock at 2018 US Open, ninth at Ridgewood in the 14 Barclays, 13th at Borders Row. And he was also, interestingly, you know, there's going to be a lot of par fours at 450 to 500 yards this um, this week, and I just thought that 15th in par four scoring in that category last year was really promising. He was out of form, uh, wasn't he, leading up into the Tour Championship? But then he led the field in driving accuracy and was 10th in greens and regulation. I just thought that was enough to pique my interest. And the interesting point you made, Ben, was that I think you'd put him up as a, an anti-post selection quite a while ago at 66 and 80 to one, and he's quite a bit shorter now. Uh, and he's not really done anything, if you like, to, to warrant that. But I just think that that last bit of showing at the Tour Championship gave me a little bit of hope that he can come into a test that should really suit him. Yeah, no, look, it's not a case that um, I think he's the wrong price now. It's that I think he was the wrong price then. And that's easy enough to say now, isn't it? But I think anti-post, I write anti-post previews every year and they're really easy because there are just every time there are players you think, well, that's just he's just not going to be that price. And it doesn't always have to be that you really fancy them. A good example would be Sung Jae Im. Um, I, I tipped him at 150, I think, for the US PGA. Like this is just after last year's Presidents Cup, and I, I don't fancy Sung Jae Im particularly when he's playing on the West Coast. But he was 150. Well, he's just not going to go off that price, right? Um, and I think with Patrick Reed, you know, 1866, he just had to keep breathing really to um <laughs> to go off shorter now as it happens he he won a world golf championship in the spring but it's a long time ago so i'm not sure that's massively factored in um and it, it was nice to see his return to form well i don't i wouldn't say return to form because i think he's played perfectly well he's he's broadly similar i suppose to matsuyama like he's just not put all the pieces in place but if he's going to um playing in new york is is hugely beneficial the the one thing i would say is that although some will think the absence of crowds is a good thing for patrick reed because he gets the odd comment and gets booed and stuff i i think it's the opposite i think he he loves that he loves playing the villain um you know augusta national when he when he won the masters not one person in that crowd bar his mother-in-law wanted him to win rightly or wrongly <laughs> um they, the crowd were massively against him they were hugely pro rory um and he loved it, and that's Patrick Reed. So I, I, I prefer there to be crowds, but I, I tipped him 80 to one a quarter first five. That's what you get with anti-post, right? But obviously, I'd, I'd still rather that than 35 to one fifth first 11. But um, yeah, if he wins, happy days. Uh, I'll take that. But obviously, for my readership, I guess not many of them are on that um, versus the the selections for this week. But I, I, I'm not going to pick and choose. Any of the five will do. <laughs> right. 
I completely take your point on board there about about the fans because that was one thing that I considered is the fact that yes he does get a lot of abuse but I think he just thrives off I think again he's a bit of a show off and he likes to silence crowd a lot of it's at Ryder Cup but he, he does generally like to play in New York crowds and they're obviously kind of you know uh, rowdy and, and he just he just plays up to it and and it suits him I think it, just the fact that everyone's getting on to him and he can go right we'll watch this and makes a putt or makes a, a, an up and down from absolutely nowhere um, really really suits his game Jason do you have any thoughts on him at all this week? What, Patrick Reed? Yeah, I mean, you've yeah. got them both together, and you Reed and Hatton both love a tough course, don't they? They both have to be looked at. But I think Reed stands well above Hatton. I mean, for obvious reasons. Look at his major record. Um, he just never knows when to give up, does he? Uh, you, you've said it all year. Um, I think you've been tipping him probably, I don't know how many weeks you've been doing this, but I'd imagine at least half of them you've given uh, Reed a really good write up. Uh, yeah, bounce back to form uh, last time uh, on, a, you know, on a course that. You know, it, it doesn't doesn't suit his sort of real grinding skills. Um, it, there's not really a lot you can say about about Reed really, other than this is bang what he wants. You know, you talk about. Um, I mean, he's not short, is he? But um, compared to to the DJs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, he's given away yards. It won't matter around here. As you say, he's always proven it at Beth Page back. Um, I think he's he, you know he's in the top twenty or just outside the top twenty in scrambling anyway. What it, again? We always say whatever you want to make of it. Um, yeah, I mean, he can put the lights out again, not going to make that much difference here, but it's about bogey avoidance, isn't it? Um, he's going to be a lot tidier than some of the ones that we've mentioned already. Um, he, he's 40 to one. I think I know Ben's on it much bigger, but 40 to one for a, um, I've just taken actually 41 for a first nine. Um, yeah, I think it's a cracking bit. I just, I just think that the problem with him was before is that, like you say, he's not the longest hitter. So when he was missing fairways, which he was doing a lot recently, mm. that was absolutely killing him. And now, okay, it might have just been one week. You know, they're not the hardest fairways to hit at the Tour Championship, but they still had to be hit, and he led the whole field in them. And then was tenth in, in greens regulation. That just caught my eye a lot. Um, and then going on to to Hatton as well. I mean, he's in the form of his life. You know, he's got that that win now in on the PGA Tour. At a tough golf course at Bay Hill, which is which speaks enough volumes, I think itself. Uh, sixth at Shinnecock Hill in 2018, tenth at Bulls in 2016 PGA. Ranks highly everywhere you look in relative stats, and we go back to Olympia Fields. He was 16th there and pretty steady as well. I think he is a player that absolutely loves it when it gets tough, and I think he's had five top tens in majors over the last you know two or three years now, and I just think that. He needs to take a, another further step up because everyone is kind of expecting him to do it. Now he's got that win, and I think this might be the perfect sort of test for him to do that. Yeah, I, I could very much see that. I think if you were to pick a US Open course for Patrick Reed, this this might well be it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think he's he's got a really solid chance. He just, I don't know, I I, I don't like him as much as Finau and Fleetwood and Day and the ones he's alongside. And obviously, when you put him up anti-post, that that makes it fairly easy to leave out. It's a bit cheeky, I suppose, but um, there we there we have it. Absolutely. So yeah, we've got. I, I think that Hatton for me was was the the one other person I was really interested in. So we've gone for Reed and Hatton there. Um, and then there, there's kind of a, a sort of a myriad of players here. And I know Jason wants to talk about one at, at sort of 55 and 50 to one. Um, you, you've alluded to Fitzpatrick earlier in the podcast. I think that he had. I think he he loves the U.S. Open. I think it suits his game. I just worry that he'd have to do everything right and that's a lot to ask at you know 55 to 1 adam scott plays these sort of tests well 
Tiger, you know, you, he's not playing well enough to you know expect him to go well. But but Jason, you like Paul Casey here? <laughs> yeah, I like Paul Casey as much as you like Webb Simpson every week. <laughs> um, I'm going off him as we're as we're standing. Here. I'm going off him in terms of in terms of winning uh, sort of fifty fifty five to one. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Casey's major record over there is 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 a lot better than um, you might imagine. You know, fifteenth tied ten tied sixteenth tied twenty one. Um, he led the stats in total driving. Not possibly. I mean, leading is probably a surprise, but top five wouldn't have been a surprise. So he led them throughout the 2020 PGA season. Um, we know that his irons, when his irons are on, that you know they are bang on. I, I, you know, we lost a few times on him uh, recently, but I thought his attitude at the PGA was was just fantastic. And if, if he took that mental, actually, there's no reason why he wouldn't that attitude into this week. Um, of course, where he's got a 15th when this was last played uh, back in 2006. Um, He's going to cope a lot better than some. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, we spoke the week after, I think, before the Wyndham, when I thought he was a knock, but he didn't really turn up, um, about just how impressive he was when he, you know, when he was going down the back straight, uh, back straight, when he was going, coming down the stretch. Um, he, his whole attitude was brilliant. He, 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 he left, the, he was congratulating, he was smiling, he was looked totally happy with his game. Um, and I just think that that will pay dividends this week. Um Look, we're relying on him not having to get up and down more than anybody else because we could be in trouble. Um, but I just felt it may may be a, a, a sort of top GB bet, for example. But I do think he'll go better. I'll go, I think he'll go better than his his position in the betting order, but not necessarily his 55 to 1 screaming out as value. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. I can see the case for him. I think we... I think you're a lot higher than Paul Casey than I am, but we had a couple of tournaments where we really liked him. I just think that he was really impressive at the PGA Championship. That was that was the one thing I would cling on to. I just don't particularly see it here, but it's just because there's others I like at similar prices. Um, there's a lot of players here that, that kind of catch the eye in terms of prices now because you've got Ricky Fowler 66 to one, but I don't think his game is anywhere near what it needs to be. Um, Sung Jim's 80 to one again. Um, not sure it's a kind of test for him yet, but we don't we don't really know. Hovland sixty to one, Wolf sixty six to one, all all impressive uh, early on in their careers. But there was one person, Jason, that me and you spoke about before we came on, uh, was Harris English at sixty six to one. Now it's one of those again. I think sort of what you just said about Paul Casey that um, he doesn't particularly scream value at that price. Um, but I don't know what price you make him when he's having the the season of his life, really. Ben's, Ben's favourite player, so we'll let him know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like him a lot. Look, I, I, I don't want to get hung up on what's happened in the past because I, I think that's a mistake people make. Like, oh, he was this price two weeks ago, so I can't have him at this price now or whatever. But, you know, I put him up in the PGA. I came on this podcast and, and put him up at um, 150. Um, was he, he might have been 125 by the time my preview went out. I'm just confirming. No, he was 150, 10 places. Now you've been asked to take 66 to one. Is he more likely to win this than he was that? I don't think he's, you know, he, I'm sure he would have taken an extra jolt of confidence from the way he played um, behind DJ. Um, but he'd been playing that well all year. It's, as I said before, the difference between finishing second, particularly when it's by 11 shots, but the difference between finishing second and sixth or 10th or 12 is is minor. And I don't think anyone could say that they learned something especially new that week. And yet 
he's 66 to one. So that that was it for me, really. I just think he, he's he's now in the right place in the market. I've been saying for a while he's he's a top 30 player in the world in in all but official ranking, and he should be priced like one. Well, I, he kind of is now. So um, yeah, he's he wouldn't have had to be much bigger for me to put him up, but but probably eight to 100 rather than 66. Yeah, absolutely. And a player that I thought you may have put up this week, Ben, uh, who's very popular in major championship, was Louis Oosthuizen. Um, he's going slightly shorter now, but he's sort of ninety to one. Is there seventy-five to one generally? Um, well, you know, because he's got a very good U.S. Open record over recent years, and I just thought it might be sort of the test that that would suit him, and you might have liked him. Yeah, I, 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 you can you can tell by my answer here. Like I, I was quite tempted, and and all those things are, are there, aren't they? You know, he's we we know about his Grand Slam of of major seconds. Um, he's got an amazing amazing career record. Like it's the most bizarre career record. He's he's not won on mainland Europe since 2010. Um, he's, you know, he's just—he's not won a proper golf tournament since the Open, and I, I don't say that with any disrespect to the Perth International and the Malaysian Open. They're good tournaments; they're fun. We like them, but he's seven or eight to one for these, right? And he's won them, and that's great. But he's not beaten the world's best player since 2010, and yet—I mean, that's ten years ago—and yet he very nearly has. And and if we're talking about fine margins, he could be a five-time major champion without having done much different, because I don't think any of the majors he's nearly won he's really given away um certainly no more than anybody else in that situation you know he didn't hit any worse shots than Bubba Bubba just hit that out wedged and that was that um anyway so yeah I was tempted enough um I think he's about the right price um I, I struggled to see him winning but I can easily see him you know being right up there throughout which is when we've got 10 11 places like we say it, it does change it a little bit and it, and it points people towards players like him um I guess I'd, I just kind of wanted to feel like the, the guy the guys I was tipping um could win and I, i'm not saying he can't but it, it the more i looked at his record the more i thought he'll just find a way to finish 12 so uh, yeah he wasn't for me but i look he should be the top south african shouldn't he i think that's the thing isn't it is, is, is he any more likely to to win than he was when he was you know finishing second all those times in the majors and and the answer is no and um i think he, he demands a certain amount of popularity each each major just because of the record he's got in them um but but that's about it really i think Another player at this price that, you know, if you're looking at the Webb Simpson profile was Brendan Todd. I thought, you know, he's playing some great golf. Um, he's going to be the profile of he's going to have to find every fairway to do it. Um, he's got a 17th in a previous US Open. I'm not I'm not sure he particularly uh, appeals to me, Jason, but I just thought that it was an interesting one at this price range that, you know, if if so, you know, if you're speaking 25 to 1 that Webb Simpson finds every fairway, it, why not look at Brendan Todd at a much bigger price? Yeah, probably be three clear at halfway and then get swallowed up when he goes. Which is his want these days, I think. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's somebody that didn't come into my uh, my calculations, to be honest, Tom. Respect to what he's done um, over the last, what, 12, 13, 14 months, whatever it is. Um, I, I can see he's been backed on, on Oshchek. Is that you, is it? Um, That's not me, no, not yet. Uh, he, he, he doesn't appeal to me at all. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he nicked, nicked a place, but in terms of challenging on final day, I, I absolutely can't see it. Do you know if they had? A, I, I've long thought this, and you know, you know what traders are like. They won't be told, but I, um, I've often thought that it'd be a fascinating market, low round for the tournament, 
um and you'd have to factor in everything there's no like you know if if your player misses the cut tough they they had two chances at it rather than four so you know you'd probably be leaning towards people who will get four goes at it and but he'd be a great uh bet in that sort of market because i can very well see him hitting 17 of 18 fairways on friday and making you know three putts from outside 25 feet and shooting 66 um, which, by the way, will be two shots lower than the lowest score in the 2006 US Open. So, yeah, I, that, that's him for me. I think Jason someday will be, it wouldn't shock anyone if he was three clear halfway and didn't win. Um, and it's not a lack of bottle either. It's just a, eventually the, the, the nature of his skill set usually just gets found out eventually. Like it's hard to, to keep doing that um, and, and still keep ahead of the, the more obviously capable players. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's been brilliant, hasn't he? But, I, you know, he, he has to fight for everything, and I think you, he'll lose that fight here. Yeah, it's a sustainability factor, isn't it? The, the one person I thought of when it sort of came to mind who's a similar price as well was Billy Horshaw when he hit all 18 greens at Merry, and it just seems like the sort of thing that that Brendan Todd could do over the first two rounds and then you say probably not kick on. But I think now you're getting into the category of players that it would be really hard to see them winning although with the the 11 places on offer and, and nine in other places as well it's sometimes you don't need them to and I thought that uh, Shane Lowry was someone I gave uh, another look to just because he's played well in these sort of uh, courses in this area of the world um, and he's obviously gone well in the US Open before uh, Martin Keimer Jason I'm, I'm not sure you've you've forgiven him yet um, but this in all in all seriousness he, he mm. should be really suited to this test if he carries on playing the way he's been playing it's just whether he gets it done on sunday absolutely absolutely yeah i mean yeah i'm, I'm taking the mix slightly um out of him but yeah look, he, for 95 percent of uh two tournaments in a row he was outstanding um and obviously he knows valderrama anyway you know in my opinion easily the best course um in europe um potentially the world uh, and yeah, you know, he, he, he can handle anything, can't he? He's as, he's as tough as anything. He looked fantastic um, virtually in every aspect, uh, including around the greens, around there. And it, it, ultimately, it was just um, a couple of poles that he nosed up. Um, so, yeah, you are right. Yeah, this this could be right up his street. Patience, uh, control. Yeah, there's not going to be there's not gonna be too much pressure on him. Everybody's going to be making mistakes. You know, it's, um, yeah, I, I actually looked at him, believe it or not. Um, and then had a stiff drink I'd be exactly the same by the way and the one thing I would say is if I, I keep harping on about the, the fine margins between winning and, and not what if he'd won both of them like what mm. price do you think he'd be I, I think mm. he'd be half the price um, you, you, he could not have been 125 to 1 if he won his last two tournaments and he basically did, you know, like he didn't because because X and Y. But, you know, he was the best player at the Belfry and he mm. was I thought he was the best. Well, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from John Catlin, but, you know, I think we all thought Kaimer would win with with a few holes to play. And, and I think he should have done, you know, if you hold that the, the shot he hit to the 17th and, and, and coming back to the issue about people will say he's lost his nerve or whatever. And. I, th- I think I would say he's lost some ruthlessness. He's lost a, some sort of killering instinct that he had. I wouldn't call it nerve because the shot he hit to the 17th, penultimate hole of the tournament, what was it a wedge from 120 to four feet? I mean, that's, you, you don't hit shots like that if you're if you're shaking. Um, so you know the fact that he didn't hold it, he's, he's hit a left edge putt a little bit too hard. It's just so so tiny the margins between winning and losing those events. So yeah, he could easily be 66s here. So. 
of of the three figure prices, though I didn't give him the mention he probably deserved in my preview, he'd be one of the the ones that I would consider because at least with him, like you you were saying, Tom, that you know, these are players you sort of struggle to see winning. Well, we know he can, so yeah, yeah there are definitely worse 125 to one shots, and I'm not surprised that he's been popular. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing is that I I would go as far as say he'd even be shorter than sort of 60. I'd say he'd be sort of like almost 40 to one if he'd won those two tournaments because of his previous record in majors and I think that because everyone has this sort of stigma around him at the moment that he has lost his ball and like you just said there I don't think it is I think it's just a case of yeah, maybe a little bit of belief has maybe drained out of him as as everyone goes by um, but I think that he was just so um, ruthless and so good in contention in his previous you know half of his career that that now anything that he does do is magnified um, but I, like you say if he was if he was sleeping on the lead on Saturday night, I don't think he'd be a bag of nerves on the Sunday. I just think there's potentially, you know, he might hit a bad shot at some point and maybe not react in the way he would have done five or six years ago. Yeah, that's that's a fair way to put it. I, I think if he, I don't know if you saw his interview at Valderrama when he was talking about um, what happened at the Belfry. So there's in between the two events. And he, he said, I, I just love it. I'm sure we all love listening to him. But he said he, he watched the video back and, um, he just did a quick swing on the 17th and he blamed that rather than what came after it at the 17th of the Belfry because obviously he still should have made par on that hole and been in the playoff but really um, I mean I sort of after he canned that 20 footer on 16 again there's another bit of evidence like he, he hold a 20 foot putt on the 16th of the Belfry this is not a man who is wilting as such he just didn't you know this the small thing so uh, I think we'd all be very happy if he won this um <laughs> But, but I'd just like to see him win anything again soon because I, I really think it could open the floodgates for him because if, if he's playing in rank-and-file European Tour events and, no, I, I don't know, Rasmus isn't there, I, I don't think there's anybody better on the European Tour um, in terms of the guys who are there every week, you know, um, and, and he could easily mop up. Uh, and he's won in batches before, so let's just hope he gets that one and then it will it'll come back to him because he, he belongs higher up the rankings than he is. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing, actually, he might be towards the end of his exemption uh, I, I actually, I think you get a 10-year US Open one, but he's certainly running out. He's run out of exemptions in the other majors, so it'd be a shame not to see him playing in the Open and and the PGA next year, given how well he is playing at the moment. But I think when you just look at his career as well, I mean, he's got three wins on the PGA Tour. One of the, two of them are majors at the PGA and US Open. The other ones are Players Championship. So he's won the he's won two of the four biggest titles and the, the biggest outside of the majors. And then when you look at his European Tour wins as well, they're Abu Dhabi, they're WGCs, they're you know they're they're, they're just massive tournaments. He only he doesn't really even he's not like a, a flat track but he just goes and wins these really you know easy events maybe like we just spoke about who stays in there and people like that um he just wins top draw events and i know it's been a long time it's been six years but um you know he's 35 years of age there's no reason the best isn't still ahead of him although it would be kind of hard to match what he's done i suppose already yeah it will be very hard to match what he's done but um he's, he's got more to give hasn't he i think that would be the whatever yeah. whatever it is like I'd, it'd be such a shame if he's played his last Ryder cup um, and I don't think he has. Um, I think if they were picking the team, you know, it was supposed to be, when was it, next week or something? If, if Padre was picking his team right now, he'd have to strongly consider him. Now, I don't think he quite would have got in. And it would, by the way, it would have been fascinating to see if Rasmus would have got in or, or even whether they'd have asked Sam Horsfield which side of the pond he wants to play for. Um, <laughs> but the point being, you know, um, he, he's back at the level where he's in that conversation and, and he wasn't. And, and one of the interesting things going forward is that if, if you go back to his interviews last summer when he was contending in the uh, Muirfield and 
and elsewhere, he was talking all about his long-term goals, and he had two goals, and one was get back in the Ryder Cup team, and the other one was represent Germany at the Olympics. Well, the second is almost certain to happen now, but you know they're, they're still goals for him. They've been pushed back a year, and he will continue to to be working towards those. He he, he struck me as particularly determined, um, and that's you know that's how you get on, isn't it? You know, we were talking about George Curtis I think, and how he won last week. He, he's put in the hard yards during during lockdown, and 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 Keimer clearly has done something similar. Yeah, completely agree with all of that. Jason, is there anyone else that that you because this is this is a tail end of the betting now, and I think this is a tournament that demands. Um, you know, it sounds ridiculous when it's a major championship. But I think this demands a, an all-round brilliant player who's in form. You look at the last, you know, talking with Keimer, they're looking at the last four winners: Gary Woodland, Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Martin Keimer, and then you've got Justin Rose and Whipsinson and Roy before them. So, um, I don't think you need to go hunting for players this week. But is there anyone else that you like at free figures? Yeah, Renato, but no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mackenzie Hughes. Um, I backed Mackenzie Hughes early today. I backed him for a top twenty. Um, We've all watched him over the last few weeks. He's, he's, you've, you've already mentioned earlier, I think, Ben, about his putting. Um, he's just improved dramatically this year. Um, look, it's all in front of you. Um, we can see what happens. I think he had the putt on the last green to qualify uh, for his lake, didn't he? He had to hold that, uh, did that. He's been, you know, every time they show him, he seems to have a 35-foot putt that he holds. Um, six at Memorial. Shows you that he can. Um, where's my notes? Six of Memorial shows that he can. He can act um, around a tough course. Um, this is not ideal, but obviously the type the type of the Travelers is actually fine when you consider that winners of the Travelers do appear in top 15s at U.S. Opens as well that year. Um, uh, 2017, when again he was half the player that he is now. AT&T at the Players, he's got uh, top finishes. Um, man's absolutely flying at the moment. Uh, finished last week with that with that um, seventh with a 66-67 weekend. Uh, figures are great. Um, does he does he rely too much on the putting? I mean, he's not very long. Does he rely too? We'll, we'll see this week. Um, but I just thought 125 to one um, for a man that is clearly going places and he's unquestionably going to win a standard tournament within the next couple of two three months. Um, I, I felt was was just too big, and I'm. I'm very happy. I've got enough doubts about people in that mid-range. That um, yeah, I consider him to be actually a fair bet to finish top twenty, and you, you might as well throw in the top eleven as well at the same time. I think one of the things that Ben spoke about, you know, over a twenty-foot putt, you, you you would be looking at him. It's more like a seventy-foot putt. Him, <laughs> you know, anything within about a hundred feet, you're sort of giving him a chance. But um, like you say, I think that because he does hold such long putts everyone kind of just thinks of him as that's all he does but he don't, you know he's a tidy player does he rely too much on that i think quite possibly and i think it'll be a huge step up um but you know this is these are the this is the area of people there's a lot of worse bets in this area of the betting than the mackenzie hughes jason uh- I, I, agree, I agree for what it's worth. Sorry, I was just going to put you on to one, Jason. And, you know, he's he's two to one to be top Canadian. I, I know you're not going to get rich, but he's got Corey Connors, Adam Hadwin and Taylor Pendritz to beat. And Pendritz, a big hitter from the Corn Ferry Tour, who you know, is playing really well. But this is obviously a big step up. Adam Hadwin is not playing well. Um, and Corey Connors has got an awful major record. So, you know, I, I, I would fear Connors, obviously, but I think two to one Hughes, he, he's playing at a level that the other three are simply not playing at. So I think he'd be a very worthy favourite there. Um, his own major record's not been good, but he, he played much better in the PGA. So, yeah, I, I quite like that. I think, I think the thing there is that Corey Connors, if he misses a green, 
Uh, it's almost an automatic bo- uh, bogey, isn't it? You know, he's, he's around the green, on the greens. He, he struggles. He relies heavily on his ball striking, whereas Mackenzie, Jason, is going to get get you up and down in those situations, especially from 70 feet, and, and that gives you a bit of a boost. Because, you know, if he shoots level par on the week, he's going to be well up there, isn't he? And that, he's probably going to win, yeah. Win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm, it, as I say, I, I, you know, the, the bet's the bet really is that is the top twenty, and and you know the bonus is is should he place top eleven? Um, I think I think I took earlier. Um, yeah, I, I just thought there were enough doubts about players coming into here that that may have had records that we can look at in the past, but aren't actually haven't got any forward momentum coming in this week. I mean, he's absolutely buzzing. He keeps making putts to qualify for the week after. Um, biggest payday probably, was it, the Tour Championship? I would imagine must have been coming seventh there. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, like I say, I mean, slight worry is giving away 30 yards off the tee. But around here, you know, is it going to matter? Um, he's tidy enough. So, yeah, I, I, for me, 80 to 1 would have been fair. So, I think it was 150 early, which I couldn't get. Um, so 125 first 11, five to one top 20. Yes, it suits me. Thank you. Well, I think that there's two people that I was going to mention here. One of them is his price has completely crashed for for obvious reasons, and he's he's the buzz name on Twitter at the moment. I'll come to him in a minute. But Brian Harmon was someone that caught my eye because he has a good record in tough events. He finished second at the U.S. Open, Erin Hills. Um, he plays the long par four as well, despite you know giving up a little bit off the tees, left-handed. Sometimes that, a lot of people buy into that at some of these majors, and certainly at this course in Wingfoot, that proved okay. And I just thought that since the restart, he's looked, you know, like a almost back of his sort of old form, um, especially in the last few weeks. He's got a top 12 in his last two starts, including at Olympia Fields. Um, and although it's not, He's probably not hitting his approaches as close as I'd like. He's not driving it quite as well as I'd like. He's he's steady. You know, he's made the last five cuts in a row, uh, and he's made seven since he's come back. And I just thought that that given how he's played these tough events, and you know, that's that's sort of his bread and butter, if you like. I thought that 175 to one and 250 to one, and, and you know, 11 and nine places on offer. I thought that was quite a big prize. I don't know about you guys and thoughts on that. He wins every three years and he's due, so um, you can have that if you like. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought there was enough to like about him. Um, I, I, I wonder, I'm, I'm just coming up with side markets here, but I, you know, top left-hander, Mickelson said on Saturday, not played as badly as that in three months. Bubba in a tough US Open is a line through him straight away. Um, I think you probably got Sandy Scott. I think the Scott, the Scottish amateur. I think he's a lefty. Bob McIntyre is he? He's in the field, isn't he? So you, you got a few there. You might get a decent price about Brian Harmon, top lefty, four to one or something. Um, that could be an interesting play because he is playing well. Um, I, I don't think he's a US Open winner in waiting, but um, that's a very easy thing to say about pretty much everyone at a big price, isn't it? So yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why he won't play well. Um, I'm just getting top lefty market up here. There are only four of them listed. I'm, I'm sure Sandy Scott's left-handed, but there we go. Um, you can have four to one, Tom. So there you go. Yeah, that's probably the way to go because, like you say, I don't think he's going to win. I just think that you know, there's there's enough about him to like that he he could carry on that top twelve sort of run that he's on at the moment, and that's almost what he's got to do to to get placed there. So that was what, sort of the line of thinking there. Uh, the other guy that obviously uh, is very popular on Twitter at the moment is Will Zalatoris. He's played sort of 16 events in 2020, not missed a cut. Uh, he's got a win 
Uh, he's got another eight more top sixes. Now, this is a step up in the sense that he's doing that on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, but he'd actually be on the PGA Tour right now if it wasn't for COVID. He'd, he'd be playing on there. Um, he's certainly playing on the wrong tour as it stands. Uh, hits it far enough. He's uh, He ranks sixth in total driving. He leads the Corn Ferry Tour. He hits over 80% of greens. Uh, I think he's closer to 85%. He's top 25 in scrambling as well. Uh, there's a little bit of a question mark over his putting, but that, like you say, Ben, maybe not so important here. Um, I actually decided to wait until he went on the exchange and he finally got put up and I backed him at 480 to 1, which I think, you know, it was just a case of, you know, I like following his career. I think he's playing really well. And I think that in five years' time, he'll be mentioned in these major championships a lot. Um, but I don't, it's going to be hard to see him win here. But I just think that the line between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PJ Tour at the moment, Jason, is is already thinner. And if I'm right in thinking that he's actually playing at a PJ Tour standard, then then actually he's quite a quite an interesting person this week. Yeah, you follow. I mean, you obviously you follow him quite closely. Um, I, I don't follow the Corn Ferry well enough. Um, having said that, you know, look at the people that have come through over the last few years. You couldn't you couldn't see him winning. Um, the US Open on his first attempt um, and looking at him in sort of um, the same brackets as uh, you know the likes of uh, Kaima, Mackenzie Hughes um, yeah, Chez Reeve yeah far too short but you know forming in much higher class I, I do think he's short but there's no question about no you haven't sort of tapped his full potential and he could be absolutely anything so a decent week here top 25 top 30 top 40 even uh, it's going to give him a huge boost as he, he sort of arrives on the PGA Tour, no doubt, with uh, in not too long. Yeah, the, the thing that I like about him the most is really is that he'll he'll look like he's out of an event, and then he'll just he'll just fly his way up there. I mean, he looked like he had no chance. I think he started twentieth before the final round yesterday, shot sixty four to finish second, had the clubhouse lead. Uh, he's made the cut on the numbers and and finished top twenty. You know, he doesn't he generally hasn't finished outside the top twenty since. Uh, February the 16th was the last time he finished outside the top 20. He just he grinds away, and although I think it would suit him more if he had par fives to score on and take advantage of hitting the long drives and things like that. Um, and again, it, you know, with caution, I don't think that suddenly Wills Adatoris is going to win a US Open just because he's playing really well on the Corn Ferry Tour. But I just think that he's probably at the same level. Uh, in terms of like Corey Connors, Ches Reevy, uh, you know Cameron Smith, all these types of players at this level, he's playing actually at their level and, and probably better. You just don't see it because he's on the, he's not on that tour. So he was one person I just wanted to mention how well he's been playing. Uh, ben, is there any more that sort of piqued your interest at any sort of bigger prices? No, the temptation is to go and find someone that's you know there's people like Sebastian Munoz and people like that have been playing really well. Um, on the PGA Tour, but it's just hard to see them winning, isn't it? Yeah, that that's uh, I guess that's the the bottom line. Um, there were a couple I looked at. I, I, get, I guess it, it, it feels different to me. Like I know there have been upsets in this, but generally speaking, the winner comes from the top 50 in the world and is is pretty much in front of you. I think in the in the Open, say, I would I would be far less hesitant when it comes to putting up someone at a big price. Um, I I was very close to putting up Ben Ann. Um, you know, we I think we talked a few weeks ago about his his putting work with Brad Faxon, and, and and it's kind of the only thing that's missing. He could do with driving it a bit more uh, reliably, but he he flushed it all weekend when we last saw him at Olympia Fields. And I think if you look at his form, he's 12th at Southwind when he was in the final group, and 
22nd in the PGA when he finished with a 66 and then 12th again at Olympia Fields. That's that's three of his last four starts. He's been very, very close to, to the what we're looking for, which is effectively a top 10. And he's 150 to 1. And unlike some of the players at 150 to 1, I think yeah, Ben Ann, US Open champion, yeah, I can, I can just about believe it. I can certainly see him playing in the final group or something like that and then uh, worrying about the rest after that. So he was he was the one that came closest. Um, Jason Kokrak is playing wonderfully well. I put him up at a big price uh, in the BMW Championship. He's about 90 to 1 there. Um, and he placed. Um, he's a bit bigger here. Um, and he hasn't played since or did he play the tour no he didn't quite make the tour championship so he's not played since um and his previous two starts before that were, were top 15s as well so if you're talking about someone who comes in with obvious form um and is a three-figure price um he, he'd certainly tick that box um and just a couple more i mentioned I, I did mention hughes in my preview for the reasons reasons jason jason mentioned um thomas peters i know that sounds nuts if we're looking for someone to shoot <laughs> two over par and and win um but his short game has been a lot better. Like his around the green stats are good. He played really well both weeks in Wales. And, you know, I know he's, he gets a bit of a rough time. He's a four-time European tour winner at 28 or whatever he is. He's, and and he's he's got so much ability, as we, as we all know. And he's placed in two majors in a World Golf Championship. So he's done it in the States. A lot of guys, they take it over there and, you know, um, Olison would be an example. I've just picked that off the top of my head. I think, I think he might have finished... 12th in the Masters once but basically he's not done anything in a major in the US um, Peters has um, and if this is all about big hitting which I'm not, I convinced myself it wasn't but if it were to be and he does drive it well I, I may be new dad new attitude I, I can buy that right um, and just the last one is Takumi Kanaya um, he's the standout amateur at the moment and I think in any and every event if you've got one of the best amateurs in the world you should probably have another look because they're automatically a huge price um, he's 500 to 1 Last year's US Open, Hovland went off about 500 to 1, believe it or not. And um, I think he was about 300, actually. And he finished 12th. Could Kanaya finish 11th? Maybe. Um, he was fifth on his on his comeback run in the Japan Tour last time. So um, I looked again at him. But, you know, he's a big ask, isn't it? We all know that. So, yeah, I, I stuck to those four at the top of the betting. But um, I, I can I can understand why people would try and chase that uh, 11th place for sure. Yeah, just talking of, of Kanari, he's actually won an event, hasn't he, on a Japan tour recently. He's first, fourth, and, and fifth, I think. He's, well, first, third, and fifth, I think, his last three events. Um, so he's certainly a player with incredible uh, form, and it just depends, like you say, whether he can translate that to a, a major, which you, you are guessing. But it'd be interesting to see how he gets on. Uh, Jason, is there any more you wanted to mention? Uh, yeah, just quickly, must be the first major we've never said anything about Sergio. Um, obviously, woefully out of form, but we didn't even mention his name. Uh, Gary Woodland at 90 could be big. Um, you know, wouldn't have to, you know, not convinced at, at the moment, but, um, you know, he returns, he returns to a course that, you know, he's going to suit him down to the ground. Uh, looked at Victor Hovland, but that's far too short. Should one more come out, Doc Redman gets in and I would be looking to back him somehow. I'm not quite sure. Um, and, but the only other one that I think might go, go very well and get a top 10 is Matt Wolf, who we didn't mention. Absolutely flying, playing really well. Stats are, are great. Uh, okay, slightly um, uh, more energetic than I would like in in a player really around here, but you know performed brilliantly at the PGA as we all saw. Um, again, may, there may not be enough emphasis on his putting to to worry about too much, um, but I do think he's improving uh, you know dramatically as well. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to you know surprise me to see him uh, go very well here really. Um, other than that, no, that's about it. 
Tom, yeah, great. So, Tom, this is this is probably really poor podcast form, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it just um, we're talking about the requirements here, and I think just to underline to anyone listening who, you know, I, I think in in this sport more than any other, I think people generally speaking they they like to listen, take on board a few view, views, go away and think about it, and and you know come to their own conclusions in in some way, shape or form. Um, so to underline the the nature of the challenge, let's let's quiz. How many birdies did Jeff Ogilvie make when he won this? Either you <laughs> care to venture a guess. Six. Oh, that's a good guess. It's a good guess. <laughs> he made nine birdies. He made nine birdies. Can you imagine any other week of the year making nine birdies and expecting to win the tournament? Um, and I just think that that really does underline it. And I know it's like it's like it's an abstract concept. It's it's just a number, right? It's whether it's got a circle or a square around it. It's just a number on the scorecard. They all count the same. You add them up. But I, I think it does tell you. You know, I don't expect anyone to be making three birdies in a row or anything like that. He made two in a row. Um, twice or three times but they're so hard to come by he played the last 10 holes in four over par and won the u.s open so and he wasn't leading when he went to the ninth tee so <laughs> a remarkable he should, a remarkable really have won should he in the end although he did, he did his part didn't he but i think i think the thing you know it's an important thing to mention there is that we are you know obviously all of our picks are well known for making birdies every week and dustin johnson is shot to fame for shooting 30 under par and things like that but at the end of the day, it is about limiting the mistakes. So although it may take 10, 11 birdies to win this time based on you know golf getting slightly better in the last sort of decade, but uh, that's still not a lot, is it? And and really, it's a case of if you can just, you know, you could make maybe three, four bogeys around and, and still be in it, you know, right up until the final day. If you can just limit it to just those and, and make the odd birdie, you know, two or three around, you're, you're going to be you know on the right side and it you know it really we're we're not guessing because there has been some sort of evidence there in the past but you know i i kind of get a little bit cautious when we see that it's going oh, it's going to be impossible to get out of the rough because every time they say that they somehow find a way it's just it just seems different nowadays but this would be the one course that i would think yeah no you you need to really keep it on the fairway and that that's going to be the key this week. And again, that plays into longer hitters' hand because they can take less of a club and still hit it that far. So that, that was really interesting to hear about Jeff Ogilvy's record there. And I, I thought it was even less. So you know that just <laughs> highlights how much it, how much that really does come into play. So let's let's quickly summarise our picks there, Ben. I'll let you lead off. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like Hideki to play well. Um, he's got form at the right courses. He's he's playing very close to his best. He just needs everything to come together, and he's got the right sort of game for this. His short game's a lot better than it was, say, three or four years ago. And um, I, he can just keep grinding out pars. That's how it with him. Um, Tommy Fleetwood, I think, hopefully has timed this to perfection. I kind of thought that at the PGA Championship, where he's a slightly bigger price, but not much. Um, but I, this time he's got some more more reps for want of a nicer word. Um, and Portugal, I think, might just turn out to be genius. I, we'll, we'll see about that. But I, uh, certainly he, he arrives full of confidence the way he hit the ball um, out there in Portugal. Tony Finau, I don't think, needs a great deal of explaining. He's the same price he always is. He keeps placing in majors and big events. And I'm happy to take on board the risk that um, he flatters to deceive. I think if he gets off to a good start, he, he could be there throughout. And the final one, Jason Day, who is the riskiest of mine without question, um, because he does need to turn around his form and return to what he was playing like a month ago. Uh, if he does, 
of all the players in this field, I think you'd be looking at probably only DJ who has got a be- better record on these greens and on this type of golf course. So at 40 to one, a risk I was prepared to take. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the four outright ones, but as ever, I'll be looking at the specials and the three balls as well. And, um, you know, hopefully we can at least make it that those, uh, those outright selections are free rolls. That would be the dream. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep an eye out for those uh, previews coming later in the week on the specials as well. Jason, just to summarise your picks there. Yeah, uh, Mackenzie Hughes uh, to continue his improvement um, and confidence. Top 20 at the main bet. Obviously, each way he's got four difficult courses and he's, he's flying at the moment. Um, we've covered Hatton um, and Reed. Uh, they both appeal. They're both, you know, terriers. They both want difficult courses. Patrick Reed stands above him, in my view, because of his, his major record. Casey, I'm thinking about English. I'm thinking about, but the winner is quite obvious. It's uh, Santa Schiffler. He appears in all three of my lists. He's the only player to appear in all three. Um, he's flying. Um, he's going to win ma- many more majors, uh, and he's going to win many more tournaments. And he's going to start this week. Absolutely, Xander Shuffle was my favourite before coming into the week. I think his price is getting dangerously close to something that's maybe not worth backing. I don't think there's any. I don't think he's hidden for anybody, but. At the end of the day, I think he's you know got a great chance of winning. Uh, Patrick Reed and Tyrrell Hatton for me were the next best. I just think that that Patrick's played well on all the the Tillinghouse courses that I need him to, and you know he likes he, this sort of test. Tyrrell Hatton, I think, is ever improving. I think the fact that he won on the PGA Tour earlier this season is is massive for him. Um, and then I just think there's a couple of bigger prices that, that start to look maybe appealing in terms of Martin Keimer. Um, Brian Harmon maybe is a bit of a long shot, but I just thought he was interesting to mention. Um, yeah, and I think Ben's almost sort of talked me into Tommy Fleetwood as, we, <laughs> as we've gone on, which is the danger of these sort of podcasts after we've all made our decisions. But certainly Fleetwood and Dave, you know, they've got to be respected at their prices. And uh, I think we've uh, we've covered all grounds, really. I think there's a case of um, we could do all this work and it, and it certainly comes undone because it's a really tough test and someone just shoots you know, two or three over and, and wins a tournament out of nowhere but that is that is the name of the game at US Opens and we, that's certainly the chance you've got to take Yeah, I mean the one thing I would say Tom is that um, and it's easy when things are going okay and stuff don't get me wrong I, I really want to tip the winner and stuff but um, this should be a great tournament to watch Winged Foot is a beautiful piece of land it's a wonderfully designed golf course it will test every aspect it will make players think it will make them you know play defensively sometimes it will it will tempt them into you know into trying to be aggressive when they think the window is open to do so um and you know come the back nine on sunday it will make them scared so um of all the u.s open venues we've had in recent years i I admire the usga for experimenting with Erin hills and chambers bay all that stuff's fine, but winged foot, um, it's been a long wait to get back there and I, it will deliver. So um, we're in for a fantastic four days, regardless of how all these players do and whether we've mentioned the winner or not. And also, I think it's really important to mention that it'll be a lot easier to view this event because it's, uh, you know, on New York, the time zone is not as harsh and we should be able to see it at you know, a reasonable time as opposed to the PGA Championship where everyone was falling to sleep towards the end. Jason... I do need to apologise because I haven't given you your, your three and a half minutes that I said let you have on the Portuguese event. So let's have those before we before we kick off as well. Yeah, just very quickly. Don't forget to put a timestamp on because this is what everybody wants to hear. <laughs> um, just very, very quickly. Uh, for some bizarre reason, there is a link with Denmark. Uh, 2009, I mean, there have been various uh, Portuguese tournaments that go on on both courses, that, uh, both tours, the Challenge Tour and the European Tour. Uh, but if we go, go to, it's not this course, but if we go to Bulgado for the 1918-17, 
uh, in 17, um, oh, guys, another name I'm not going to pronounce, uh, Papadatos. Um, he won there. He also had a tied fourth in Denmark. Runner-up, um, Antoine Rosner, we don't talk about. Um, he had a uh, tied fifth at Denmark. You go to uh, 2019 um, when um, Adrian Moronk won uh, third place. Uh, Laporta had a tied fifth at Denmark. Uh, go to the, um, Matt Wallace's win around here. Um, he beat uh, Julian Suri. Um, he then came sixth at Denmark uh, when Suri actually won there. Um, you've got Ben Evans, who was uh, placed, I think, sixth. He's also got form at Denmark. Tapio Pulcannon, he was top 10. He won at Denmark. Um, there's also spratterings of Dubai form. So they're the linking tracks. So very quickly, um, one that I can't believe I'm actually saying, as uh, a three off the tee, uh, one is Paul Dunn, playing like an absolute dog, right? <laughs> absolute dog. But this is a terrible event. Anybody that looks at it can't believe that George could see his nine to two. Um, he should be seven to four and giving away eight shots here. Um, especially when you consider that the, the mighty Jamewood Donaldson, as much as we love him, but he's second in, um, you know, you could put him in front. He's not going to do it. Um, so Paul Dunn's got massive form at Denmark. Um, so I'm going to stick him at £125 each way. Um, Ashen Wu, who we spoke about before we we done his 50s in a field like this. Um, he's obviously got that six at Dubai, which ties in with Matt Wallace, um, Julian Suri and uh, uh, Andre Pavon, who are top three here in 2019. So we'll stick him in at 50s again in a field where half of them you can just, they might as well not bother turning up. Um, and I'm going to take a chance as the main bet on Julian Suri. Um, obviously coming back from really long-term injury. There are signs that he's he's getting there. I don't know when it's going to be, but this is such a weak field. that If he's going to do something, hopefully it'll be here. Obviously, I said he's already won Denmark. He's already been second round here. He's got a tied eighth in Dubai um, at the Belfry a few weeks ago. Uh, he would have done a lot better, but for his third round, 77. And last week, although he was down the field, it was 69, 71, 71, 71. There are signs. It's not brilliant, uh, but I'm hoping that this dropping grade um, round, of course, that he obviously loves um, will provoke something. And to be honest, at 60 to 1, um, I'm quite prepared to, to take the choice. As, as Ben said, Bjorn Helgren's at 25. Um, Gonzo's at 40s. Um, you know, Blomstrand's at 50s. So, I'll take the chance. Sorry's a much more, when Sorry's right, Sorry's second or third favourite in this field. So I'll take the chance at 60. Thank you for the three minutes. Well, I think, you know, I've literally done absolutely no research into this whatsoever, but Julian Surrey would be, him and Ashen would be the two just stick out based on, on name and talent level alone. Um, I I can't remember what tournament it was that I backed Julian Surrey for. I think it might have just been um, very early on when he first came back. It might have just been the British Masters and he missed the cut. Um, he's obviously made a couple, three or four cuts since then, um, and like you say, he's played, he's played well there. And before he came back on the European tour, he won a mini tour event. And I don't think, you know, the greatest respect to this field, I don't think there's going to be taking much beating. So if he can win a small event like that, he can win a relatively average event like this as well. And without the jolly anyway. <laughs> that's it. So yeah, I would say if George Cozier pulls out for some reason, then you, you, everyone's got a chance. But I think he's certainly going to. Uh, Certainly going to clean up if he wants to. So that's uh, that's the was it even called this week? Open to Portugal. Yeah, open to yeah. Portugal for you in three and a half minutes. So there we go, gents. Thank you very much for joining me for another major preview. It's uh, very nice to have you on, Ben and Jason. And uh, let's all uh, go and have a good week and certainly enjoy watching it if nothing else. Thank you. Good luck, gents. Thank you.